Kevin will call you and it takes him 10 minutes to get off the phone. Okay. Is That's this true? Evan? His, False. His personality. <laughs> it is 100% that is, true. <laughs> freaking just awesome. nonstop. That's why I made such a good sales associate in Colorado. Owen, it's good to meet you, brother. Nice to meet you, sir. Congratulations on this deer and I hate you. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. I don't dislike you yet, Danny, but, but you're working on it. <laughs> well, I I've been struggling this year, so I mean, mightily. Yeah. Um, where Where are you out of? Where do you live? I'm in Colorado. Okay. Um, and I'm in eastern Colorado. So, like, my deer season is usually muleys and whitetails both. And then I hunt Kansas a lot. And, um, and in eastern Colorado and Kansas, um, I'm just, I can't find a damn deer. I, can't, I, I have no target buck at all. In either state. Well, I'm going to rub it in because he had one. <laughs> I had, had one. Yeah. Did you shoot it, Evan? <laughs> <laughs> so Danny, Danny's son, Lane, is very, very proficient with a bow as well. And Lane goes in opening day and kills the buck that Danny knows about. <laughs> so, and I, I don't know what he scored. I'd say he's low to mid 180s as a mule there. So I was going to ask muley or whitetail. Yeah. Yeah. Muley. So that's so. my bucket list hunt. It's a big muley. I used to go out there to Colorado and Northwest Colorado. And that was my favorite hunt, spot and stalk. Mm-hmm. It's just, just a blast. You're watching them all day long, you know? Yep. Well, so, so you said you used to go out there. Yep. Don't anymore or. Well, I actually went back this year. I wasn't hunting, but I went out there with my friend Chuck and just kind of poked around, just had a good time. They said the winter kill in that area was just terrible, which I suppose. Yeah, that, that northwest pocket of Colorado. So, yeah, no, it's I, I what I refer to as the Four Corners area because I don't live down in in the southwest, which would be Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. And uh, what's the other one in the Four Corners, Danny? Nevada, Arizona, Utah, Utah, <laughs> New Mexico, Colorado, the state I live in. Um, <laughs> but uh, southeast Idaho, southwest Wyoming, north east Utah, and northwest Colorado, that area got hammered. It's going to be a few years coming back from that. I got a feeling. That's, uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, you got a hell of a spread behind you, buddy. Yeah. We've done some little bit of hunting in a day or two. Well, I, the the building is beautiful as well. Fantastic looking. Well, thank you. Looks like you've worked hard on that. Yeah, I actually bought the place with the knotty pine on it, but I, I like it as well. It gives you that kind of rustic cabin feel, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Then, then- beautiful, beautiful. Well, Evan, do we want to just... Oh, we're already going. <laughs> I've been recording. It was too good from the start, so I can play with that. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. I've got my sidekick, Evan Williams, with me today. And our guest on the show is Owen Rigler. Rigler. How do you pronounce your last name? Rigler. Owen, um, 
Owen has a heck of a story that we were just talking about offline just a minute ago. Makes me mad and jealous because I'm struggling with my deer season. So is Evan. Mm -hmm. And uh, Owen just scored big. Um, And we're going to kind of tell the story of uh, what he just accomplished and uh, how it all went down. But welcome to the show, Evan. Owen. Well, thank you. And Evan. Welcome, Evan. (laughs) What a way to start. (laughs) Hello, guys. How are we doing today? <laughs> oh. Owen and Evan. So, well, the, welcome, Owen. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, no sweat. With, with a story like you've got, like this is just insane. So, first and foremost, where are you at right now? Where Where are you living? Where was this buck taken? This is Southern Iowa. Okay. Yep. South Central. Okay. And then, how old was he? Six and a half. Yep. Nice. Target buck on your farm, three years, four years hunting him? Three. Or or, or knowing about him, you, you picked him up or first sheds at three and a half? Well, yeah, I actually knew about him at two and a half, but he, you know, okay. was barely on the radar at that point. He was just, you know, a spindly little guy and just one you're watching, you know. And then the last three I really been, or the last two I really been taking note of him, you know, and it goes back three years. I've got sheds three years off him. Well, first off, tell us how big is this buck? He's a two thirteen. I think it was two eight is what he goes. I don't know if you can see him. He's directly behind me there. If I move, he's sitting on top of one of those other bucks there. I don't know if you can see him or not, but no, pretty spectacular deer. Yeah, as as far as frame, I don't think you're ever going to top that one. Or at least I'm not. That's a that's a tough one. Maybe out there in Colorado with that muley spread, you might get him, but. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know about a white tail being whiter than that one. Well, I've always said for a long time that I, I'm I'm a frame guy. Um, and actually, you know, a long time ago when I was looking for different places around the country to hunt, I had done a lot of research um, trying to uh, determine the pockets, you know, big deer producing pockets around the country that I wanted to focus on. And I specifically focused on main beam length spread and mass measurements, you know, instead of all time length and, you know, Mm -hmm. a bunch of junk and things like that. Um, Because that's, what's most impressive to me is when they've got a great big spread and when they got a great big frame, I should say, not just spread Um, the ones that you could mistake for a mule deer when you see it. You know, right. did you find that um, that was in pockets or was it just totally random where you would find deer like that? Um, I, I definitely did find that it was in pockets. Um, and I don't want to express exactly where those pockets <laughs> were, but yeah, there were, there's pockets of those where that genetic, um, tends to manifest more often than it does in other places, you know? And when you're doing your research, like on, uh, Boone and Crockett or, or Pope and Young, either one, any SCI, any scoring entity that there is, they're going to give you an overall score. But then, you know, the things that I really paid attention to were those things that had to do with frame, you know, main beam length spread and, and mass measurements, especially the bases. And uh, it was it was telling. You know, you can even in one state like where you are in Iowa, there's pockets in Iowa that produce those kind of deer. 
Yeah, I always wondered about that same thing because a lot of the book bucks come out of these counties where there's more hunters. So I always wondered if it was just they're that way everywhere and then just these pockets where there's more hunters, there's more in the book or if there's really just that good areas, you know, regardless of how many hunters are there. Hmm. Right. Well, and you run into a lot of people that say, well, not everybody enters their deer. And that's very true. I would say more more people don't enter their deer than than do. You know, however, a lot of times, even somebody that doesn't enter their deer very often, they, as soon as they kill a giant, they're more compelled to enter it than ever before. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think some of the ones that are really secretive, those are the ones that are least likely to enter, but there's a lot of guys, unless they're truly big buck chasers, um, that even if it's a hunter that's been hunting his entire life and this is the biggest deer he ever killed, he's most, that's the deer he's most likely to enter, you know? And, you know, even if you don't, even if it's an anecdotal number of people, it's still representative of the whole, right? you know? So, and it's, it's funny because if you start paying attention to the counties that produce and, you know, just taking a big map and hashtagging, okay, it produced one and you put a hash mark on there and then you start doing it. And it's, it's funny, a good state like Iowa, every one of the counties will produce one every now and again, but you've got certain counties that produce them multiple times over the last 10 years. Right. And what you'll usually start finding is that one count, you, all of a sudden you have three or four counties that produce them multiple times. And oftentimes those are touching. So they mm-hmm. form a pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's, it's interesting research, but I, I digress. Didn't mean to get us off topic on this, <laughs> on this deer. So you've got a, you've got a long history with him. You started out when he was two and a half. Did you see any uh, characteristics in him then that made you think, Oh man, that's a baby booner. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I thought he would probably be a wide buck. I mean, even as a two and a half year old, he was pretty wide. I'd say he was probably maybe 17, 18 inches wide as a two year old. So that was a little that was something to kind of take note of. And then you really didn't see it until he was three. I was like, wow, oh, my, what have we got here? You know, so then you really you really seen it as a three year old. Then he just kept getting bigger. Jeez. Which, as you guys know, they don't all do that. Sometimes they'll max out at four and, you know, they don't get any bigger, but. Not on this guy. He just kept getting bigger each year. Yeah, that's the way that you like to see him. How big of a property were you hunting this deer on? This is about a 620. Yeah, about a 620. So nice size property. I mean, enough you can manage some, but still a lot of them get killed, you know, go on to the neighbors. And, I mean, you still can't hold them 100% of the time by any means. Right. Yeah. And was this deer pretty much living on you or was he coming back and forth as a a two and three year old he was definitely back and forth i'd get some pictures of him for a while then he'd be gone you'd get nothing and then you'd get more pictures and then it just started to be more and more regular as you got older until you got to this year where i felt like he was living on me all the time i depending he was living in a really small area so i mean if you didn't check the right sd card you wouldn't pick him up but that one little Uh spot you'd get him all the time you know it's kind of tipped you off he's living right there well, it's funny. I've said this many, many times about October deer, and I feel like your big mature bucks, they innately know what is coming ahead, and they have picked out a small pocket where they want to live, 
And literally, if they could lay there and reach one direction with their head and eat their food and reach the other direction with their head and drink their water, that's all they do. That's right. I don't know that they'd even hardly stand up, you know, and that's, I think, what makes hunting October bucks really difficult at times is because they aren't moving. They aren't moving. They, they aren't traveling very far to get their food or their water. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. They're, they are not moving very far. That's exactly nail on the head. Yeah. You know, that's what makes it tough. But if you can figure out that little pocket he's living in, then all of a sudden it gets way easier because now you've got a, you know, real good shot at him. You're, you're right in his bedroom or close to it, you know. Right. But that's the key is finding that pocket, that little bedroom. Right. And that can be hard to do depending upon where, where they're at. Absolutely. You know? yep. if, you, if you don't get that intel, it's really tough. Yeah, because I never put cameras in my bedding areas. I don't know what you guys do, but I always, I'm always on the fringes. I don't like to go in and, and check them anyway. And I'm checking SD cards now just because I like being out on the farm and, and checking them. I just enjoy that. So I, I went back to that. And I've, I picked up two cell cams this year that I will actually all have solars on. Um, so my plan is to venture a little bit deeper into some of the stuff I do. Well, mainly on my folks' place, because I know the cameras aren't going to be messed with, um, and leave them up year round and venture a little bit deeper into some of those areas that I believe are holding deer. So, I mean, and again, it's because without having an SD card, I don't need to go in and check them. Yeah. Yeah. It so, makes perfect sense. And I've done that before too, even with the SD card, sometimes you've got a spot way back in a good crossing or whatever, and you just stick the camera up there and you leave it all year and you go get it in the spring. You know, you, you always learn a lot yep. doing that too. Uh-huh. Yep. For sure. Yep. And our, our target buck this year specifically, um, he did, he doesn't come on to us until after Thanksgiving. So, and we, I mean, we went back, three years worth of cards to figure that out because all of a sudden you know christmas day he hits three cards in a row and start going back looking at other stuff and it's he's not coming through in the rut he gets that late season and we've got a bunch of good thick cedar cover and we've got good corn and, and good ag right around us and for whatever reason he's just he's just that late comer to the property so so with this buck over the last couple of years, you know, he, you said he was six when you shot him as a, as a four-year-old and a five-year-old. Did you have any encounters with him? Um, did you pass him at all? Uh, what was your experience with him before this year? Yeah, the only time I've actually seen the deer prior to this year was when he was three and a half. I had a little little clip of him. I was just by myself with a handy cam, and I, I filmed him a little bit at three and a half. And this deer was more unusual than probably any deer I've seen. Antisocial, didn't like anything, didn't like cameras. If, if a camera was right in his face, you'd get the one picture, and then you wouldn't get him again mm-hmm. on it. Or you'd get him in the background. Another deer would trip the camera, and you'd see him in the background staring at it. He, he didn't like anything. He was a, a very different deer from that standpoint. He didn't like to be around other deer. Would, would you know? Even in uh, velvet season, he was never with a bachelor group of bucks. Always by himself. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. antisocial. He was, yeah. Which I thought yeah, he would be a... really hard to kill just because of that. He just didn't want to be. Other than, I mean, of course, during the rut, he starts poking around the does, you know, like they all do. But you know, outside of that, I thought he'd be very difficult to kill. Hmm. 
And uh, was he rutting on you the last couple of years? He was. Yeah. Well, last year he was, yes. As a four-and-a-half-year-old, he actually rutted on the neighbors. He left at <clears> four-and-a-half, <throat> and, a half and he, he was spent the month of November, most of it. He was still on my farm some. I'd get pictures of him, but I talked to that neighbor, so I knew he was seeing him as well, getting him on camera. And uh, that's another interesting uh, herd dynamic, too, because I kind of felt like there were some older bucks that were more dominant than he was that was displacing him was the reason he was leaving. And it seemed like that was true after we killed a couple of those, you know, dominant bucks in there that, you know, didn't have real great genetics or whatever, but they were just dominant bucks, uh, aggressive deer, you know, we got those killed and then he really hunkered into a spot. And I, I feel like that was, that was key to having him there. Right. Or was just killing off his competition. Yep. Yep. I think so. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, um, I think that there's a lot of people that tend to think that the biggest, oldest deer on there is typically the dominant deer in that area. But there's been so many times where I've seen it that it's a four-year-old that is, you know, he's just full of piss and vinegar and in his prime and not necessarily the biggest rack out there and not necessarily the biggest body. Right. But He's full attitude and he runs everybody. He runs the show. Um, and do you feel like that was probably the case with this deer most of the time? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that attitude goes a long ways toward the dominance thing. I, I see that all the time. And very rarely is it the, the biggest set of antlers out there is the dominant buck. But if you do keep culling your your management bucks is what I call them. I mean, they're, they're great deer by anybody's standards. But, you know, maybe it's a big eight point or whatever. And you keep culling those deer. Eventually, they do become the man in that area or wherever they displace to, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they are that dominant buck usually. Hmm. Uh, the, and... So what was your plan with him going into this year? I, I mean, obviously, um, you got him killed during the patternable stage in October um, right. when he was in that little pocket, that October lull pocket that I like to talk about. But um, um, you didn't know whether you were probably going to get it done during that time or not. What was your what was your outlook going into the season? Yeah, I said way back when we picked up his sheds that that was my plan was to hunt him early when he's predictable and then again late. I felt like those were the two times I had a good shot at him. You know, early and late, he'd be predictable. And then during the rut, it's kind of just flip a coin, you know, throw all that out the window and maybe you hunt the does, maybe you catch him, maybe you don't. But the more I hunt the rut for a specific deer, the more I don't like it. I mean, it's harder. (laughs) They're they're everywhere. You know, they're haphazard running all over. It's really tough to, to tie one down and be in the right spot. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. And and you shot him. Uh, was it the twelfth? Seventh, uh, October seventh. Oh, it was the seventh? Yeah. Okay, so it was the first week. Yeah. And th- and how many encounters did you guys have leading up to the seventh? Just this year, just one other encounter on the sixth. Okay. We encountered him on the sixth. Yeah, and I didn't start hunting until the third. It was real hot here, up about ninety degrees. So I just was biding my time, thinking he probably is not going to move. He has always been pretty nocturnal anyway. And uh, so I just waited for the cooler weather. October cold front. Yep. Yeah. You can't miss them really. They're, they're dynamite. Hmm. If you know where he's living. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. If you're 200 yards, you have no idea where he is. I mean, you would never see him because he's like you said, he's moving a hundred yards each direction. Yeah. I mean, just nowhere. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to be right there on the edge of that. Otherwise you're, you're not going to be in it. Absolutely. Um, so how big of a, 
how big how big was his pocket that he was in? I had it narrowed down to about fifteen acres, is what I thought. He was mm-hmm. living in about 15 acres. And this was after he shed velvet. He did shift a little bit. I had him in one area, and then all of a sudden he started showing up in this other area on this screen source. And then I was able to kind of figure out where he was bedding based on where he was walking out on that food source. And I had it narrowed down to about 15 acres is what I thought. I mean, you never know, I mean, mm-hmm. unless you have a camera getting him in his bed. But, you know, based on everything I was seeing, I'm like, it's got to be this pocket right here. And I, I think mm-hmm. that was right. All said and done, I think that that was right. What was he coming out into? Uh, it was a green source that I had everything but the kitchen sink in. I mean, I threw everything in there thinking if there's just one thing he really likes, I'm in the game, you know. And uh, it had soybeans in it. It had purple top, radish, uh, kale, crimson clover. Um, I think that, that was the gist of it. I think that's about what I had in it. This is about two acres, this particular one. Yeah. Pretty good size. I mean, as far as getting them neck down and really getting a close bow shot, you know, it's pretty good size plot, but. Um, and could, could you tell what he was, what he was favoring in there at all? Yeah. Yeah. I would actually, I'm just a, a nerd like this. I want to know what they're eating. Every deer yeah. that comes out, I want to know that because that's what I'm going to plant next year, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I would watch with my binos, every doe that would come out and they were hitting purple top big time, which was a little surprising to me because that's always been a really good late season. You know, they always come back to purple top and they eat the bulbs. Sweet, sweetens up with that frost. Yeah. They, they love it late season, but you know, we had a bit of a drought this year. So a lot of those bulbs were small and like, like you'd see like a radish we eat. And so they were, they were more bite size. So they were just pulling them out of the ground and eating them just like that. And I'd say hmm. 90% of it was that purple top. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's food for thought. Yeah. Not that you can grow it in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alfalfa, if you're lucky out there, I suppose. Oh, man. We can't grow rye grass right now, to tell you the truth. You can grow um, rocks, though. I can guarantee oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> rocks and rattlesnakes. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, what Were you, were you going to say something, Evan? No. No. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at pictures of the buck on the other screen. Well, I haven't seen a picture of this buck yet. Do you have him on uh, Instagram or anything, Owen? Oh, you're talking about the Buckeye shot? Yeah, he's on Instagram, yeah. uh, Facebook. Where else have they got him? I guess those are the two. It's, yeah. Video is up on YouTube, guys, and we will. <laughs> as we get as we get Jeremy stepping in, um, video is up on YouTube, and we will link that in the show notes for you guys. Um, kind of detailing the history that Owen had with this buck. Yeah, yeah. I guess for the people that don't know, yeah, I film for Midwest Whitetail. And so it's on the Midwest Whitetail channel on YouTube. You know, I've also got a daily blog there as well. If you go to Midwest Whitetail Daily, you can find my blogs there as well. Oh, fantastic. So now that we know this deer's on the ground, you're a landowner. So you have three tags in Iowa? Yep. You can get another landowner tag, which you could use for archery or gun, either one. And then you can get a gun tag. Okay. Which you could also bow hunt with late season. You can't shotgun hunt, or during shotgun season, you can't bow hunt. But late season, during muzzleloader, you could bow hunt if you wanted. Okay. Who's your next target? Man, I, you know, it's back to managing the farm. I just, I love to manage the farm. I'm, a lot of the guys have seen me sitting behind bucks that, you know, they're nice deer for anybody. I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm not appreciative of them, but 
I'm just as happy shooting a management buck like we talked about, a 140-inch eight-pointer that's a big bully on the farm. It, mm-hmm. it trips my trigger to hunt those deer. And so I'm kind of back to managing the farm, you know, hoping to get the, the better genetic deer to live here, you know. And so mm-hmm. that's a big interest of mine, and that's where I'm at now. I've got three eight-pointers that are all really nice. They're they're all older. Well, two of the three are definitely older. One of them I'll have to have to keep watching. He might be a four-year-old, so I might give him another year. But at any rate, that's that's what I'm after right now, unless something else moves in. Are those the deer that you really enjoy hunting during the rut? And, you know, there's just to say one thing about uh what we had said just a few minutes ago you know i i I wholeheartedly agree with you that if you're hunting one particular deer that early and late season is the time that you are most likely to be able to figure out where he's going to be and be there to to do something about it um but with that said that's not what i i love the rut you know i i don't necessarily love the rut for for choosing one deer and pursuing him because it, it is unpredictable but the man all of the things that you see the the parts of deer hunting that we enjoy the most the calling and decoying and you know all of those things are it's a november game you know it's a lot yeah and it's a lot of fun um is that usually what you're doing during the rut is is chasing those deer Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I've got a big target to go after, I mean, of course, I'll still hunt him. You know, he's going to move during daylight. But yeah, primarily, especially if you've got two or three targets in an area, it just makes it fun. You know, good chance you're going to see one of your targets. So yeah, Yeah. I'm with you on that. It it, it is a lot of fun. Just anymore as I get older, too, is I really enjoy just watching deer. I mean, I don't have to kill one out there. And and so more and more as I get older, I think I just I just enjoy watching them more than anything. Yeah, like hearing the leaves rustle and hearing their footsteps coming and all of that excitement that goes along with that. And, you know, being able to watch one out in the field and throw a grunt call out there and have him turn around on a dime and come at you. I mean, to me, that's those are the things that I enjoy the most about whitetail hunting you know absolutely i think that's what we live for isn't it yeah yeah that's what i do and don't get me wrong if i got a 213 running around on my place (laughs) you know i'm gonna be hunting him you know as early as i can you know provided i know where he's at um but and i'm gonna take the exact same approach that that you took but man you know i still live for november you know Yep, I don't blame you. You get to see a lot of good stuff that time of year. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. De- definitely, definitely is. So, how many how many farms are or how many how many parcels do you have? Uh, CB two, three, four, five. It's about seven parcels. Okay, yeah. and it's how many how many acres between them total? About fourteen hundred total. Yeah. Are they are they all in close proximity where it's the same same gene pool, same genetics right there that you and neighbors can have a management plan and program in place or no, no, they're not that close. They're all within a say a fifteen minute drive, but they're different pockets, different deer, which is kind of nice because if you have a farm that doesn't have anything that you want to shoot a particular year, a lot of times the other farm does, you know, so it's nice having mm-hmm. them spread out a little bit. Yeah. So how long have you been? working with Northwest White or uh, Midwest Whitetail? Uh, since 2018. Yep. 
since 2018. Yeah, some friends of mine kind of got involved in the business and they asked me to be a part of it. And as a friend, I said, yeah, sure thing. You know, if it helps you guys out, I'd love to, you know. Sure. Gotcha. And what was your what, what was your background before that? What do you do for full-time living? Uh, I have a swimming pool business. I've been in the pool business since 93. I've worked for people for years, you know, 15 years. And then I started my own business. And I've done that up until now. I farm. You know, I buy and sell farms, fix them up, make them for hunting. And used to work in real estate a little bit as well. And so I, I stay pretty busy. Hmm. So pretty well-rounded. You've been hunting there in Iowa since you were a kid? No, I'm actually from Michigan. I, I was raised there in Michigan, hunted public land there a lot until I was 27. That's when I moved out here. It was 2002. I moved out here when I was 27. And it was just the right place for me when I got here. I don't know if you guys ever go someplace and you just feel like this is where I belong. Mm-hmm. That's how Iowa mm-hmm. felt to me. You got out here in these rolling hills and you just felt like you were in God's country. And it's... Yeah, I never looked back. Never, never went back anywhere else. Uh, if I ever did move, it'd probably be out west of the mountains. That's the other place I go to that's just breathtaking. You're like, I feel like I belong here too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, the whitetail hunting isn't as good. I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Mule deer king. Oh man, I'd, I'd love a, <laughs> I'd love a good muley, man. It's no secret that's on my bucket list. The spot and stalk muley is uh, is the next thing I'd like to go after. Yep. Well, um, I don't know. A lot of guys throw rocks at me when the, the, being from Colorado and being asked which one I prefer. And I, I hate to say it, but I'm a whitetail guy. And I, I think that that happens a lot of times to guys that grow up in one Western guys uh, that go out and start hunting whitetails. It's so different than what we grow up doing um, mm-hmm. that there's something different about it that we kind of fall in love with. And same goes for some of the most serious uh, muley hunters that I know. There are guys that grew up out there hunting whitetails. And when they come out here chasing muleys, it's so different than what they're used to that they just fall in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. If I lived out there and I didn't have what I have for whitetail hunting, I'm sure I'd feel the same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, what an incredible animal, Owen. That's, Congratulations, buddy. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, congratulations, man. That was a, I'm looking at him now. Um, and you're you're right, man. What was the inside spread on that deer? He was 27 and a half, just a little over 30 on the outside. Holy smokes, man! Which, that is that is a giant frame deer. To to put it in perspective, I've been here what 21 years, and they've been as hardcore as anybody. I've never seen one like it. You know, I've had some nice frames, some big frame deer, but not like that. Yeah. It's just different level. What, what were his main beams? Uh, 29 was one. The other one was 27 and six eights, I think. So, I mean, world, world class frame, you know, beams that long. It's the first I've ever seen those as well. Jeez. Holy smokes, man. That's hard to believe. It's like winning the genetic lottery, really. I've been trying to hunt yeah. a buck like that for so long. I, I st- just start giving up. Like, it'll never happen, you know, and yeah. just when you least expect it. Well, and, and genetically, is there is there anyone that you're starting to see now, offspring of his from the last three years, that potentially is showing some of that characteristics? I don't really think so. And, and you know, I had another buck there, that, that wide nine buck, big frame on him, too, and you know, mm-hmm. I don't see anything right now that looks like could be that. Did 
did the wide nine and him come off the same piece? They did. Yeah, they were, they okay. were actually, they would butt heads from time to time, you know, when he was a four-year-old and they both kind of displaced to their own little area. So yeah, they were, they lived very close proximity. Gotcha. You know, one interesting question is when you have a deer that's that wide and he doesn't really come back in that far, but he's, you said his inside was 27 inches between the main beams and his main beams, like I said, don't come back in and, you know, close the box up really. Right. I wonder if that presents issues when it comes to sparring with other deer, um, Mm -hmm. to fighting with other deer because they're able to fit their rack right in between his. Right. And there's really not that much protection from tines hitting him in the top of the head and the neck and the ears. I wonder if that contributes possibly to him being a loner and not being dominant and wanting to stay away from other, you know, some of these other deer that you were worried were keeping him out of your place. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I've thought about that same thing. And so some other guys, I really don't know what the answer is to that because, you know, like on the particular hunt where I killed him, I mean, he was all about, he spotted another buck there and ears went straight back and here he comes, you know, that's what got him killed. Yeah. He just, he marched right in, but I mean, there again, it was a younger buck. So I suppose they've already figured out who was the boss there, but to your thinking, I imagine it would be a problem if you went up against another dominant buck with a, you know, less inside spread that can get right in. I'm surprised he's got both eyes, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No kidding, man. It it could be a real problem for a deer. (laughs) Yeah. And with that, the shape that that deer has, it it definitely could be. And is is that still some remnants of velvet hanging on to some of his tines? Yeah, one of my favorite things about him, he's got velvet on all those tines uh, clear out to the main beams. Yeah. You see how some of it's kind of shredded looking? It's just really cool. I've never had that on any deer. Yeah, yeah. He, he might have either either he shed later or he had a hard time getting some of that off uh, out, out there on the ends of those tines. Yeah, he did shed pretty late. He was always late in growth. He would grow clear into like 15th, 18th of August, which is, you know, a couple weeks past a lot of them. And so mm-hmm. he he did shed late as well. So not too surprising there, but I've I've just never killed one like that. So it's pretty cool to have that. Yeah. I always, I, the way that- I always wondered if he grew late because he was just putting on so much antler. It just took that long to grow. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but he always was like that. Ever since, you know, I was keeping track of him, he was a big deer. He was always still growing the 18th to the 20th of August, which, you know, all of them are done by then. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I I I don't know. Um, but does does their birth date have anything to do with that? As far as like when they physically hit the ground, yeah. Would that would that potentially shift some of that, like the hormone cycle of that animal? Yeah, that's a good question, Evan. I I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm not sure on that. So I mean, because we we know that does can cycle early or later, dependent on either when they drop or their age. I'd imagine there's some some of that cycle that would go on testosterone wise if they're if they're a later drop fawn. Could very well be. Yeah, it'd be interesting to do some more research on that. Well, you know, one thing we didn't cover is how tell us how it went down the day that you killed him. How'd you get it done? Well, so I seen him the evening before he came out just before dark and never presented a shot. I was able to get out into the creek and get out of there without spooking him. So I felt really good about coming back there the next day. 
you know, haven't seen him that day, I'm like, well, he might do the same thing tomorrow. We got similar, you know, weather conditions, temperature and pressure was going up. So I'm like, man, he might move. And I got in there super early. It was like two o'clock, two thirty that day. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to bump any deer thinking he could be bedded close, which he was. And he stepped out at like four fifty, mm-hmm. which, you know, that was pretty surprising considering it was five minutes before dark the night before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so he was just out there in that green source, just mowing those uh, radishes, purple top for like 30 minutes. I had to watch him. And I know I've told some other guys, too. They're like, well, what'd you what'd you feel? Were you a nervous wreck? And I'm like, I really wasn't. I shot all summer long. I went to all kinds of 3D tournaments and ASAs and stuff. I, I felt prepared for it, you know, and I just kept thinking, he's just got to give me an opportunity and, he, and he's not going to be leaving. And uh, it just kind of went down that way. He's seen another buck, a smaller buck, after he'd been feeding for a long time, 25, 30 minutes. And uh, he went to walk that buck off, and he was walking right at us. So ended up giving me about a, a 41, just a little over 41-yard shot and, and made it good. Of course, we couldn't see him fall on camera. There's big cedar in the way, but I felt pretty good about it when he ran off. You could see the pressurized blood shooting out his, his wound side there. So... He was, he was right where we thought he was, went maybe 70 yards total, nice. you know, from, from hit to where we found him. So, and then when you, when you watch the video, when I go to pick him up, he died just like that. It's like, it's like it was staged, but he was just, it's just a perfect thing. Just pick him up and he's all ready to go. <laughs> one day I'll walk up with one that's like that. So buried head first in a tree or wrapped up in a fence. Yeah. Or- um, <laughs> so at 41 yards, um, was he pretty distracted when you shot? Did he sink at all on the shot? Yeah, it's interesting you said that because he actually picks up a purple top and he starts chewing on it. And I'm like, there's my chance. He's not going to hear this arrow coming. Yeah. I'm one of those guys that think when their ears are back, a lot of times they got their head down feeding, their ears are back. I think they hear the arrow coming. Mm-hmm. And not so much the, the sound of the string, but mm-hmm. they hear the arrow. And, uh, you know, he was just head up chewing on that radish or purple top, whichever it was. I thought that was my opportunity. And the guys made fun of me. They were like, hey, you're one of the only people I know that there's a 200 inch deer standing in front of you and you're worried about him chewing on a radish, you know. <laughs> but I, I really I felt that same thing because at that yardage, they can do so much, you know, they can, they can. completely drop out on you. And, mm-hmm. But no, I don't think he really moved and shot was good. Yeah. Biggest deer I've ever had an opportunity at was at about that range, and he ducked the string on me bad. Um, And yeah, I think that there is a lot to be said for them chewing on something. Um, Because if you think about it, if you're if you're chewing on something, uh, there's a lot of noise that's happening inside your head. Right. You know what I mean? That that gives you Mm -hmm. cover from things that are happening externally. and I, you, the fact that you picked up on that and thought that that was a perfect opportunity, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like if uh, if it's one thing if they're looking at you, but even if they don't know that you're even alive, if they're just standing there motionless and they're not doing something like that, I feel like the odds of them jumping the string intend just greatly increase. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've all had it happen. You know, once you get to that 30 yards and over, you really got to start guessing about where do I need to aim, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, the other nice thing about it, I mean, with his head also being up, he doesn't have the neuromuscular response to drop and move at the same time. So he's not hearing it and he's not on alert. His head is up. So he doesn't have the ability to lever that head movement to start dropping his body. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of research done on that recently. Um, uh, Dr. Grant Woods did a bunch, I think, um, where they were videoing different deer with their heads up versus with their heads down. And there's some science to that. If their heads are down, the first thing that happens when the bow goes off is their head comes up and it creates a lever that contributes to how quickly their shoulders can drop um, versus when their head is up, they almost have to drop their head down first before they can really do that movement with the shoulders. Um, And it's interesting because when, when all that started, I felt like they could, the, the chances of them dropping were way greater if they were head up. And that turns out not to be the case. If their heads are down, they, have, they, they can drop quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Another good point and a good takeaway for all of us to think about, you know, when you're out there getting ready to take your shot. Yeah. yeah. If, yeah. if you have the, <laughs> the skill set that enables you to think clearly in a moment like that, which <laughs> seems to be something that I'm lacking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know on that. I mean, everybody's a little bit different. I know I've got older friends or, you know, my age and older that still get so worked up that it's a wonder they ever hit anything. But, you know, that's why they hunt, too. They love it. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm in that category. Yeah. We've, yep. we've discussed it before. I am firmly in that category and, you know, have spent 35 years trying to figure out how to get out of it. But I'm I'm not wired that way. I don't think I'm not calm. I, you know, I do not have ice in my veins. Um, I've got to constantly remind myself, especially in a situation like you were looking at right there. I've, I've said it many times before. I, I feel like I'm better off if things happen lickety split, bam, bam, bam. I have to act now. Right. If I get a chance to watch that deer like you did out across that field for a half hour and then he comes at me, all of a sudden I'm a wreck. You know, uh, it, and it's 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 hard to it's hard to calm yourself down in situations like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is experience versus just your personality type. You know, I, I think both of those have got to weigh into that quite a bit. Because you know, I remember being young and shaking like a leaf at a doe. You know, so it wasn't like I've always been this way. I, I think confidence plays a lot into it, and, and experience as well. You know. Confidence yeah. does definitely. Yeah. Those are the worst, anyway. Yeah, they're just because because it's the same type of thing. When you at least when I see one and it's like, yes, now that's a mature doe. I'm going to shoot her when she steps over here. Um, then it's just how long is it going to take her to get there? And you're watching her the whole time, just waiting. So it everything just starts ramping up. But in my experiences, when it comes to hunting bucks, and again, most of my experience is in first or second week of november so there's a lot more going on bucks are moving quick oh there he is he's there boom it happens quick and like danny said i don't get a chance to think about it and a doe you just sits there and stirs the pot and works you up and then (laughs) it finally happens and then i almost fall out of a tree because i'm shaking so much and they're often the most educated deer out there is that old doe yeah that's what i was gonna say too or she's got you spotted in the tree yeah and you're wanting to take her out for that reason yeah 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 yep take that blower out that's as <laughs> that's as important as taking out the dominant buck that the mm-hmm. dominant eight point that's chasing your big deer off 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, how many times have you had it happen? Everything's just setting up perfect. All the deer are pouring out, and then one doe starts in on you, ruins oh. a whole hunt. You know. Mm. Yeah, blows the entire doggone thing up. Well, man, it's been great having you on, Owen. We really appreciate you uh, sharing this with us. Um, everybody needs to go check out this video. Uh, it's on MidwestWhitetail.com. Uh, the title is Monster 213-inch Iowa Buck with a Bow, Owen's Biggest Deer Ever. Um, and it's a spectacular-looking buck, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Well, again, congratulations. What a story. You know, it's, I think you'd said with, uh, with the wide nine last year, you know, it's, it's bittersweet and it always is, you know, harvesting an animal like that. But when you've got that kind of history, it's just a relief and, and a weight off your shoulders. And I mean, you get to look at him and enjoy that moment for the rest of your life. Congrats. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah, it only took 40 years, so I'm not planning to do it again. <laughs> well, if, we, if we're if we are all so lucky, that'd right. be great. Well, we appreciate it, buddy. Hope you hope everybody enjoyed it. Sounds good, guys. Thanks again. Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that story from the season. We at Hoyt want to hear your interesting, crazy stories that happened this last season. If you've got one, head over to the Hoyt tagged out Instagram page and direct message us there. Just give us a little summary of what happened to you. And we're going to be choosing listeners to have on the podcast to tell their story from the season. So head over to Hoyt tagged out, direct message us what happened to you this season. And hopefully we'll get you here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>